The application of the LNT hypothesis has caused an irrational fear of radiation in the populace, and the observable effects of the fear of radiation from pushing this hypothesis or this extrapolation is significantly greater than the effects of anything these low doses of radiation could do. The Rational View is a weekly series hosted by me, Dr. Alan Scott, providing a rational, evidence-based perspective on important societal issues. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Rational View. I'm your host, Dr. Al Scott. In this episode, I'm pulling together a few strings of research to explore what I've learned from the experts on the linear no-threshold extrapolation. The LNT model, as it's called, is based on the idea that all exposure to ionizing radiation is harmful, regardless of how low the dose is, and that the effect is cumulative over your lifetime. Now, this model is used to extrapolate the expected number of extra deaths that are caused by exposure to environmental radiation and therefore has a great impact on public policy, especially concerning nuclear power. This, what we would call a precautionary extrapolation, is the reason that the Nuclear Regulatory Commission has adopted what's called the ALARA principle, as low as reasonably achievable, in setting radiation safety limits. In some cases, these limits are set well below the levels of the natural background radiation that we all experience in our day-to-day lives. And that has a huge impact on the nuclear industry. When the doses are very low, the LNT model predicts the number of deaths from chronic exposures, from environmental radiation sources via extrapolation from uh, data sets where we know people have got cancer, like, for example, the cohort study of people that were exposed to radiation from the atomic bombs that were dropped on Japan. These sudden large radiation doses, we know how many cancers are caused at various levels because we can look at the the exposure of these individuals and track them over their lives. And they're still tracking these people and trying to measure the excess number of deaths that they have over the rest of the population and correlate it to the exposure that they got in the millisecond of the um, bombs going off. And then we're trying to use this to predict chronic exposure uh, cancers at levels very close to the background. Why is this not a settled issue by now? Why is the LNT still contentious? It's because cancer is very common in in society and people. 40% of people roughly will get cancer over their lifetimes. And our DNA is constantly being challenged by all sorts of um, mutagens in our environment, all sorts of toxins, uh, alcohol, smoke, uh, sunlight. All of these things contribute to our levels of cancer. And to tease out which of these exposures may have caused a particular cancer requires huge numbers of people uh, at the lower levels, just from the statistics of it. And you can go back to my statistics podcast to, to find out why that is so difficult to determine. These radiation precautions have led to sunlight being listed as a carcinogen at all sun exposure rates due to the ultraviolet component of sunlight, which is also an ionizing radiation source, just like nuclear radiation. 
with no safe level of sunlight being suggested following the precautionary model. At the extremely low levels of radiation, we're talking about people who spend more time outdoors uh, are more at risk of cancer. People who drink alcohol infrequently or are exposed to secondhand smoke need to be um, controlled for in your experiment. People who might be exposed to particulates from fossil fuel pollution need to be corrected for before one can tease out any sort of an effect from low doses of radiation. As always, if you like what you hear on my podcast, please hit like on your podcast app, share it with your friends. We'd also love to hear from you on the Rational View Facebook group. Uh, let me know how you like this new format. I'm going to be taking some clips from previous interviews to try and uh, summarize the, the expert opinion on this. Dr. Jerry Thomas will be the first clip. She's a professor of molecular pathology at Imperial College of London and an expert on the molecular biology of thyroid cancer. She established the Chernobyl Tissue Bank in 1998 and is an author of a number of reviews on the health effects of radiation exposure following nuclear accidents. Here's her introduction to the effects of ionizing radiation. People think that ionizing radiation is something that only comes from a man-made um, operation, but actually that's not true. If you live on this earth, you are surrounded by ionizing radiation. You can't avoid it. There are isotopes that are present in the food that we eat, in, in the water that we drink, um, and also in the air that we breathe. Because if you live in an area where there's a large amount of granite, for example, you get a lot of radon gas, which seeps up from the ground. Um, so you, can't, you just cannot avoid radiation if you live on this planet. Um, people, you know, are under the impression that things like uranium are something that only comes from a nuclear power industry or from um, nuclear bombs. But actually, uranium is present in seawater. So every time you go for a swim in the sea, you're exposing yourself to uranium. Small amounts, but it's still there. Uh, and I think this is this is part of the issue that we have is people think that exposure, no matter what the dose is, what causes the problem. But actually, we know from every toxin that, that we're exposed to, uh, you know, um, that there is a dose response curve for every single toxin. And for radiation, it's it's believed to be a straight line. There are arguments over whether, whether it really is a straight line or whether there is a threshold above which we only see um, uh, reactions and, and health effects. But, you know, it's, it's, it's no different from any other toxin to which we're exposed. And actually, we know an awful lot more about radiation than we do some of the chemical toxins, for example. And it, it's very simple. If it's very low dose, then there's going to be very little effect on your health. Dr. Edwin Lyman is the Director of Nuclear Power Safety at the Union of Concerned Scientists in Washington, D.C. I also interviewed him earlier. UCS is a notoriously anti-nuclear non-profit organization. Here's what he had to say on the linear no-threshold hypothesis. The linear no-threshold uh, posits that the dose response in humans or animals to ionizing radiation is effectively linear. And as you well know, uh, there is no solid scientific or statistical evidence below a certain threshold. Uh, it's been adopted, the linear no-threshold theory has been adopted as a precautionary principle by many scientific organizations. However, the uh, UNSCAR has recently stated that multiplying infinitesimal doses by huge populations to estimate health impacts should not be done. What's your position on that? Well, I, I don't think uh, your statement that there's no scientific support uh, for uh, the linear no-threshold hypothesis is correct. Uh, the issue, as, as you know, is that in any 
statistical or epidemiological study, you are going to require a certain uh, study size and a certain magnitude of effect to be able to have a, a demonstrate statistically significant effects. So the the common understanding of ionizing radiation exposure comes from in part from large epidemiological studies such as the Hiroshima and Nagasaki lifespan study, as well as other uh, populations of people who are exposed with known and controlled exposures, which helps to be able to quantify um, the dose response. But you do have to extrapolate um, below the, the lowest dose where um, you can demonstrate a statistically significant effect and there's an area of uncertainty. But there is a plausible biological mechanism uh, to support the uh, a linear no threshold hypothesis. And so, yes, the precautionary principle in, in terms of regulation would suggest that for those low doses, given uh, you do have certain information by extrapolating from the higher dose range, and you can limit, you can test different hypotheses for, for those lower doses. But coupled that information with the plausible biological mechanisms, and it's quite a reasonable thing uh, to posit. And the vast majority of radiation protection organizations and, and scientists uh, endorse the linear no-threshold hypothesis. In the case of unskier statement, uh, they don't provide any justification for why the notion of using collective dose is not a, a reasonable way to try to understand the health burden uh, from ionizing radiation as a result of either routine or accidental exposures. They simply don't explain their justification. You say that there are plausible mechanisms. I think there are people that would disagree. And you say that you are working in facts as UCS in your public policy stance. And I think uh, assuming the linear no-threshold theorem is not working in facts, the best scientific analysis, as you agree, are unable to measure any health effects of acute radiation exposures below, say, about 100 or maybe 50 millisieverts at the low end. Uh, and there's no evidence, as far as I'm aware, that populations living in enhanced natural radiation zones have elevated cancer rates. So I think maybe we'll have to agree to disagree on this point. Dr. Blake Walters has a PhD in medical physics. He is an expert in radiation dosimetry and works with Canada's National Research Council developing computational techniques to greatly improve the accuracy of cancer radiotherapy. Here are his thoughts on the issue. What's your perspective on that from your, from your background in this field? It's bunk. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, no, I well, mean, that's it's, what I it's, thought. it has been largely, uh, I think it's, uh, uh, the evidence is in that this is a, uh, what what's what's what what is has been considered historically a conservative way of estimate you know keeping basically uh, the principle you you mentioned I think was the uh, alara 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 yeah so as low yeah. as as little as reasonably as as, achievable yeah, as reasonably achievable and what 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 that what yeah. that corresponds to mm -hmm. is that makes uh, nuclear technology as expensive as possible right it's that and and also uh, the other thing that has resulted is uh, what you might call over costly overreactions to exposures that aren't uh, 
dangerous at all that in fact have little I mean if you look at the modeling the, the, so the linear no threshold uh, uh, model I mean it's, there, there are many 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 convincing papers published recently that have debunked uh, this um, okay. not using particularly new uh new ways of looking at the data, just actually looking at the data. And so I think the original linear no threshold, so basically what, I mean, to sum up what, what, what linear no threshold says, is it says that any radiation is bad. That's what it's mm-hmm. saying. So there's, there's, there's a, a finite risk, uh, uh, additional risk associated with any level of radiation. And the reality, and I think it's convincingly been shown, is that this is not true. Um, and the, the problem is, is that when you go and, 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 and start making policies and, and reputable organizations, such as the International Council on Radiation Protection, its policy is based on the linear no-threshold model. I mean, so it, it, it fits in the pocket of this Alara principle, so as low as reasonably achievable. But I think what's lost in there is the R part, the reasonable part. Um, no one wants to know that they're getting radiation. Um, no one wants to think that they're getting unnecessary radiation. The reality is is that we, we receive, uh, you know, significant uh, doses of radiation every day or year. Um, that, based on the linear no-threshold model, would put us at significant risk. Um, and this is background radiation from cosmic rays. This is radiation coming from uh, our basements, radon, things like this. We, we have about uh, somewhere between one, depending on where you live on Earth, one and 260 millisieverts per year. It's a big range. That's huge. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. 260 is, is like a radiation hot springs, I think. It's, uh, it's actually in Iran. I think it's in the mountains in Iran. And there's a few places, there's a few hot spots on there. Ramsar. Yeah, Ramsar. Exactly. Uh, there's uh, Guangdong, China, and Kerala in India are also radiation hot spots. Um, and in these places, there is no uh, indication that there is increased uh, incidence of cancer due to radiation. That's important. That's yeah. yeah, and in fact, they've, they've shown, uh, they've done a study where they, they look at what happens when they give people in these areas a low dose, a, re, a dose of radiation, and they found that they find that people who live in areas with high background radiation actually show a faster rate of cell repair after given what is what would be considered a damaging level of radiation, so you so have this, it's an adaptive response. You have this, this idea which is completely nonlinear, right? So this is um, they call this uh, uh, hormesis. I think is the term that's used for uh, kind of the cell's adaptive response to background radiation. We don't know why. It seems like there's actually, le- you know, when, once you get down to a low enough level of radiation, you actually have negative risk associated with it. I don't know if anyone's come up with a single explanation, but one, one uh, that's thrown out there is certainly that we have evolved with our, our I mean, 
all beings on the planet have evolved with a, a level of background radiation that was probably greater than it is now. Um, it's true. All the radioactive mm-hmm. stuff in the world has been decaying throughout the history yeah. of the world and yeah. getting less less radioactive. So right now, you know, it's the least radioactive time in the history exactly. of the world. Yeah, but we're we're, we're uh, this has been very interesting. So yeah. Um, so if anyone comes up to you and tells you that there's no safe level of radiation, I'm looking at you, Greenpeace. <laughs> You can tell them that Blake Walters tells you there is. <laughs> uh, yes, and uh, I'll give them my uh, my phone number. <laughs> Excellent. It's it's a simple solution that is wrong, and the world is full of them. Yes, exactly. It's a simple, intuitive solution that's wrong. So what does the data say? Well, in 2012, a historical cohort study of 175,000 patients without previous cancer who were examined with CT scans, so that's x-rays in your head, basically, uh, indicated that there was a linear dose response in the low-dose region, so support for the LNT hypothesis. In 2013, a follow-up data linkage study of 11 million Australians with more than 680,000 people exposed to CT scans, confirmed the results of the previous study in favor of LNT. However, this isn't a fait accompli. These results were disputed by a 2014 French study of 67,274 patients that took into account cancer predisposing factors among those scanned. So people, some of the people that were being medically scanned had predisposition to cancers, not a surprise, because why else would you be being scanned? It concluded that taking these factors into account, there's no significant excess risk from CT scans of acquiring cancer. This also interestingly echoes uh, political lines in both Australia and France. Australia bans nuclear power, and they support the LNT in their study, France gets over 70% of their electricity from nuclear power, and they found that the LNT was not supported by their work. An interesting coincidence. In 2016, Jeffrey A. Siegel summarized the debate between supporters and opponents of the linear no-threshold hypothesis as based partially in conflict between statistical and experimental inference. Here's a quote that I really like from him. Epidemiological studies that claim to confirm LNT either neglect experimental and or observational discoveries at the cellular, tissue, and organismal levels, or mention them only to distort or dismiss them. The appearance of validity in these studies rests on circular reasoning, cherry-picking, faulty experimental design, and or misleading inferences from weak statistical evidence. In contrast, studies based on biological discoveries demonstrate the reality of hormesis, the stimulation of biological responses that defend the organism against damage from environmental agents. So it's an adaptive response. Sorry, that's an aside. Normal metabolic processes are far more damaging than all but the most extreme exposures to radiation. However, evolution has provided all extant plants and animals with defenses that repair such damage or remove the damaged cells, conferring on the organism even greater ability to defend against subsequent damage. Another thing to take into account in this debate is that the LNT, the application of the LNT hypothesis has caused an irrational fear of radiation in the populace. And the observable effects of the fear 
of radiation from pushing this hypothesis or this extrapolation is significantly greater than the effects of anything these low doses of radiation could do. In fact, in the wake of the Chernobyl accident back in 1986, European wide anxiety appeared in, in pregnant mothers because of their their feeling from the LNT that they their children would be born with mutations and, and birth defects. And so many of them went ahead and got induced abortions. And this was the single largest loss of life from the Chernobyl accident. There have been no measured uh, germline mutations or effects on unborn uh, children from the Chernobyl accident radiation. So the problem is we need to have a rational view of the effects of radiation and balance it out against other impacts on the organisms. Next up, we have Ed Lyman talking about hormesis. Very interesting is that in um, studies, the potential health consequences of nuclear accidents, for instance, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission conducted a study called uh, SORCA uh, over the past decade, where they actually modeled uh, to estimate the potential cancer fatalities resulting from severe accidents in nuclear power plants. And they looked at a range of assumptions in those models, including different thresholds. So they posited um, a 100 millirem, which is a, a one um, millisievert uh, threshold, and also a 50 millisievert threshold, which is the assumption that you mentioned as far as the support from uh, extrapolating from low doses. And the interesting thing is that the, even with those threshold assumptions, they only had a 10 or 20 percent effect on the overall cancer estimates of cancer fatalities because most of the people exposed actually exceeded those thresholds. Now, Ed mentions the SORCA report. SORCA was a study of very rare uh, potential reactor accidents, like one things with probabilities of less than one in a million years. Uh, just to look at what could these impacts be and how could we prevent them. According to the SORCA report, the studies have shown that existing resources and procedures can stop an accident, slow it down, or reduce its impact before it can affect the public. Now, this study came out before the Fukushima accident. It says, but even if accidents proceed without such mitigation, they take much longer to happen and release much less radioactive material than earlier analyses suggested. Moreover, the analyzed accidents would cause essentially zero immediate deaths and only a very, very small increase in the risk of long-term cancer deaths. That's important. These are very rare accidents. And looking at the worst-case situations, one in a million years, essentially zero immediate deaths and very, very low risk of long-term deaths. Latent cancer fatality risk from the selected specific scenarios was found to be thousands of times lower than the NRC's own so-called safety goal and millions of times lower than the general cancer fatality risk in the United States from all causes, even when employing the linear no-threshold dose-response model. So to talk a little bit more about the impacts of 
radioactive accidents at nuclear power plants, I'm going to replay uh, a track from Dr. Phil Thomas, who has extensive experience in the chemical and nuclear industries and is a professor of risk management at University of Bristol. Bristol. He is also the co-author of the famous NREFS study, which developed an objective method of risk assessment in nuclear accidents centered around a figure of merit he calls the J value or judgment value. His research shows that the evacuations at Chernobyl and Fukushima were significantly overdone. They caused the evacuations caused more harm than they prevented in terms of loss of life expectancy, average loss of life expectancy, which is what he uses to base his judgments, judgments on. His work shows that rare radiation-induced cancers typically show up later in life and do not have a significant effect on the average life expectancy. Compared to the demonstrated damage done by removing people from their homes and support networks and putting them under enormous stress, here's Dr. Thomas. So I think there's, there's enormous ignorance about the true, rather low uh, effects uh, of radiation in the quantities which we can reasonably expect ever to face, even after the worst, as you say, the worst nuclear accident uh, ever. The worst nuclear accident ever was, was actually Chernobyl. We tell people our best knowledge. We try to place that, that knowledge in a way which people will understand. I don't think anyone understands, for instance, uh, millisieverts as the, the effect of them. They have to translate that into something. At the moment, I think many of them translate it into something which is rather fuzzy. Um, we can translate it. We and Walter Marshall before us could translate that into loss of life, uh, loss of life expectancy. That I think people can understand. And to give you an, give you an example, um, we have looked at, uh, we looked at the case uh, of the a food ban which had been in place in the UK uh, for the whole of the 25 years between from Chernobyl in 1986 uh, to uh, to past Fukushima in 2011. Uh, it was only lifted in 2012. This is on lamb. This is on uh, lamb, which uh, was where the uh, lamb was raised. Uh, the sheep were raised uh, on uh, hills in Wales uh, and Scotland and Northern England, and. Because of the Chernobyl spread of uh, low quantities of radioactivity uh, across uh, contamination right right across Europe um, had a had a very very small effect. But it, as I mean, we think we calculate, for example, that, that uh, the average UK citizen would have lost four hours to the uh, to the fallout from Chernobyl. Uh, we have done that calculation, but they, they actually, but in, okay, they, they thought this would concentrate in lambs. We didn't do the calculation. We weren't uh, set up to do the calculation in 1986, but we could actually do the calculations in 2012. And when we looked at those, looked at that and found the residual, um, the residual risk was that if someone had at exclusively lamb produced, the most radioactive lamb produced on the most radioactive uh, uh, lamb, uh, sheep uh, that, that uh, came down from the hills uh, and uh, at prodigious amounts of lamb. It, there couldn't be too many of such people, by the way, because there wasn't enough lamb, but nevertheless, <laughs> this, this happened. Um, then uh, that person uh, might uh, lose four hours of life expectancy. Wow. And if if uh, if it had been spread across the sort of consumption of the whole of the UK, the life expectancy lost would have been uh, measured uh, in microseconds. 
That, that's on the order of like, you know, walking by someone smoking a cigarette. Yeah, I expect so. Yes, it's of that, that, that order. Yes, exactly. And, and I mean, they, they, they are such palpably ludicrous figures that one comes up with. And I think people can look at that and say, well, gosh, no, that, that's, that's, that's too much. But that, that ban was actually kept in place uh, when, that was, when that was happening. It now, has now been lifted. But that's the sort of thing you can do. Uh, again, irrespective of the J value, if you just work with life expectancy, it's an extremely powerful statistic. Yeah, I think that, you know, the public is reacting to the actions of governments, believing that, you know, in a rational sense, nuclear must be horrible because, look, we're going to these polluted cities rather than staying put. Um, so a rational person would see this action and interpret nuclear as being something must be being hidden from us. Yes. Why would they evacuate us if there's no danger? I think that's I think that's exactly right. In fact, the J value allows you to sort of have a sort of insight in, into what you have just said. Uh, it gives you another explanation for it because it does it does say there is a there is an equivalence between uh, what people would ideally spend uh, on safety uh, and 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 the uh, the amount of hazard which it's uh, which it's 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 um, uh, risk which 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 it's uh, taking away. And if you think of someone, I mean, if you think of the, the, the average person at, at, at Chernobyl who was uh, seeing his government, I mean, the people around Chernobyl, they're not certainly weren't, weren't, des weren't desperately prosperous, certainly not by Western standards. Uh, and they, they would have seen uh, their government, which they found hadn't really taken too much notice of them before, but suddenly they were spending like it's no tomorrow. And I think exactly your thought that they would think either that we're being saved from something terrible, or, and there's evidence for this, uh, they thought, well, we're being paid huge amounts of compensation uh, by the government, which is flailing around trying to uh, keep us happy after the terrible fate that has now befallen us. And so we are now going to, uh, we, our lives will have been foreshortened. We will die young, or certainly younger than we were when we, uh, what we expected to be when we died. And the, the result of that, of course, is that um, a large section of that population then um, indulged in uh, rather risky behavior uh, as a result. We'll say, we've got nothing to lose. So, yes, I think that's right. I think it's, it is that message does go out to people. Yeah, the lack of, of rigor in the, in the response is, is more damaging than the, the, act, or the, the accident itself. So... Based on all of this and your your research into relative risks and how to judge them, I'd, I'd be interested to hear your opinion on nuclear energy uh, going forward, knowing that there's a possibility of a further meltdown or nuclear accident, um, however slight. What's your opinion on nuclear energy in light of, of climate change concerns and fossil fuel burning and risks? How do you see this as a, is, is nuclear energy a solution uh, for some of this or should we be avoiding nuclear energy in the future? No, I think it's, I think it's necessary. I think it's the, uh, it's the only uh, concentrated form uh, of, uh, of uh, energy production uh, which can operate without producing uh, carbon at, at the point of generation. 
so I, I think that, uh, I mean, the renewables have their place, but they are intermittent, wind, uh, solar, uh, they are both uh, intermittent. Uh, but nuclear uh, is, uh, is, uh, can be, uh, uh, is a, 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 a pretty safe and, and secure way of, of producing energy, and we do need that, and we do need that to avoid uh, to avoid the uh, climate change that uh, that we are now all aware of, and and is and there's evidence, very good evidence, that it is happening. So yes, nuclear is 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 needed for that. I think that the nuclear industry uh, still faces an existential threat. After Fukushima, Germany decided to move out of nuclear altogether. Um, and uh, uh, Japan uh, moved out of nuclear at least temporarily and is trying to restart its nuclear industry now. But I see no, uh, no way for it to address that, that threat squarely unless it adopts the sort of methods um, that we have, uh, have been using. And now Dr. Jerry Thomas is going to come back and provide a fitting summary to this debate. This argument about, you know, what the shape is at the lower end of the level of, of dose, is it, is it concave or a convex curve, is it hormesis or not, to me, is actually quite a sterile argument, because the effects of those doses of radiation are minuscule in comparison with things like obesity, alcohol, smoking, stress. In terms of increasing your risk of cancer, Low doses of radiation pale into its significance when it comes to looking at those things. So to me, I don't actually care what it looks like at the bottom end of the curve, because there are things that, that are, are much more powerful in driving cancer as a public health issue. Yes. But are nothing to do with radiation and everything to do with actually lifestyle and how we abuse our bodies ourselves. And unfortunately, people think that if there's a nuclear accident like in Chernobyl or Fukushima, then it's very high dosage levels to the population. And, and that's just not true. Thank you so much for listening to The Rational View. If you'd like to follow up with more in-depth discussions, please come find us on Facebook at The Rational View and join our discussion group. If you like what you're hearing, please consider visiting my Patreon page at patreon.podbean.com slash The Rational View. Thanks for listening.